Hello, gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers. Welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Organic has been the rage across the globe for the last 20 years. Since organic regulations were approved in the U.S. and even before that in Europe, as the EU pushed for organic agriculture and products. In 2023, we pretty much have everything and anything that can be called organic, being called organic, in quotes. But just because something is labeled or marketed as organic, is it? We just put a lot of trust in the things that are marketed to us. The world has this strong sense of confidence in things that they see on social media or hear from persons that they assume or perceive as experts, in quotes. I'm sure that many of you will bristle at the title of today's podcast because how dare I ask if your organic garden is a waste site? Well, is it? Do you know Are you relying on organic products and gardening experts that determine your level of organic? Maybe your organic garden isn't organic at all. Maybe it is. Maybe there's work to be done, lessons to learn, myths to be dispelled. I typed in, what is organic, on a Google search earlier today. First came up a definition from the Oxford Language Dictionary. Organic as an adjective, meaning one, relating to or derived from living matter, as in organic soils in quotes. Two, of food or farming methods produced or involving production without the use of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, or other artificial agents, as in organic farming in quotes. Next in the search came this, organic food. Huh, I didn't type in organic food. That was from Wikipedia. Since a lot of people get some of their information from this source, let's see what they have to say. Organic food, ecological food, or biological food are foods and drinks produced by methods complying with the standards of organic farming. Aha, there it is again. Standards vary worldwide, but organic farming features... Practices that cycle resources, promote ecological balance, and conserve biodiversity. Hmm, not really. That all sounds good. So does the definition, but they are both wrong and both loaded with hypotheticals. They are the typical fare of institutions and people who uploaded information onto a website or a platform that they don't really understand what it is that they are defining or telling you, telling the world what organic is. It's all based on an incomplete set of information. How can I say that? Because I know. I've done the research. I've lived the life of a person who has worked in the world of organic farming, organic gardening, and organic landscaping, plus I started an organic and biodynamic soil company. I know the regulations, the requirements, and the justification for the false narrative that give Google 
Wikipedia, and the Oxford Language Dictionary information that is incorrect and misstated. And today, in this episode, if you can shed any prejudice that you might be caring about organic, organics, your organic garden, and the world of organics as a whole, we just might get to some truth on the Healthy Garden Podcast. gardeners, I'm very happy to announce that Randy's new and first gardening book is finally out on Amazon. You can get A Hundred Years of Deception, Why Gardening Must Change, now in paperback or ebook, just as many others have, which has brought us to the number one new book in organic gardening and horticulture, and the number one new book in gardening encyclopedias and has also reached the number 12 bestsellers list in the organic gardening and horticulture category. I personally didn't know 95% of what is in these pages, yet I thought I was a very conscious gardener when it came to organics. I learned the truth, and everyone needs to know now. We're running out of time as our soil is depleting and losing the game. Please learn the truth and spread the word as quickly as possible. If you're a gardener, this book is invaluable to your health, the health of your soil, and your garden. If you're interested in organic, this book is a must-read. Get A Hundred Years of Deception, Why Gardening Must Change, by Randy Ritchie, on Amazon today. I spend a lot of time out on farms. Our farm, which is organic, other organic farms, farms in transition and farms that are not organic. I bring this up because in both the definition and explanation of organic from the last segment, they were both relying on and came back to organic farming. Organic farming is like the great Oz, the mystical city where the all-powerful wizard sees and knows all. Of course, most of us have seen it. It is a stab at God, a secularization of good and evil, a symbolization of the masses, the little people. The Wizard of Oz is dubbed a musical fantasy film that was made by MGM in 1939. It was based as an adaptation on The Wonderful World of Oz, a 1900 child's fantasy novel, which is perfect for my organic and organic farming allegory. The Wizard of Oz went on to win an Academy Award for Best Song over the rainbow and Best Score and was nominated for Best Picture. But it took years for the film to make any money. The movie cost $2.8 million to make, which was the most expensive film of its time, and didn't become profitable until its re-release in 1949. It made $3 million then, which put it in the black, or like Mr. Kruger from Kruger, George's boss from Kruger Industries on Seinfeld says, Kruger Industries is heading into the red, or the black, 
or whatever the bad one is. <laughs> For The Wizard of Oz, the other big turn came when CBS aired it in 1956. It is apparently the most seen movie of all time. It is on a bunch of top 50 and top 100 greatest film lists. The Library of Congress chose it as one of its first 25 films tapped for film preservation in the United States. So a lot can be said for this movie that was a child's fantasy film that was really a metaphor for populism, the movement of the 1890s that pitted the people up against the elites. Also, just as applicable in terms of the organic comparison is the reference to gold. The yellow brick road was a symbol of whether the world should have stayed with the gold standard to back currency. The U.S. first left the standard in 1933 because of the Great Depression and then completely abandoned it in 1973. So Oz, a children's fantasy film that to me watches more like a weird, drugged-out horror movie is a perfect analogy to what has been the story of organic. It's been all over the place and it's always been a mishmash of success, failure, input, output, depending on who you ask. Its history is long and tedious. The cast of characters on the organic trail have been just that, characters. Just as the other side, conventional ag, which was backed by big money and university studies funded by Big Chem for Big Ag to prove that organic doesn't work. Lots of characters there, too. They'll tell you it's too expensive. It doesn't make any money, which is what they really care about. But then they always throw this into the argument. It produces lower yields. All of that, or some of that, may be true. It depends if you place any value to environmental costs, healthcare costs, not to mention the emotional and psychological costs of feeding a population with food that has no nutrition. That was something that Rudolf Steiner talked about. Speaking of Steiner, let's take a quick look at some of the characters that make up the history of the development of organic agriculture and farming. These were the forward thinkers who were seeing the signs in the 1920s and 30s that chemical farming was already creating environmental harm, even though it was producing greater crop yields. Let's take a look at the history of, your, of organics in this segment and then move into how organics and what you are using in your organic garden may have toxins in them or, at the very least, be waste byproducts that you don't want any part of. The organic story, ironically, starts just before Archduke Ferdinand of Austria was assassinated, which is what sparked World War I in 1914. Just prior to that, ammonium was created by two German scientists. The world was in crisis and people were starving even to a greater extent after the war ended in 1918. This pushed the idea that we needed chemicals to feed a hungry world, and chemical farm they did with a vengeance. Then, over the next 20 years, beginning with 
the agriculture course, which was taught by Rudolf Steiner in Poland in 1924, came a whole new view on farming. Steiner looked at the relationship between the cosmos and the earth and soil preparations that facilitated and stimulated biological growth. This was followed by Pfeiffer's book, Biodynamic Farming and Gardening, Soil Fertility, Renewal and Preservation in 1938. His seminal work put organic farming on the map across Europe. It was published in five languages. His book developed the biodynamic concept of the farm as a living organisms and shouted the alarm across the globe about soil erosion. Meanwhile, in Germany, scientists started to notice things like soil acidification, loss of biology, and nutrient density of the food being grown there. This spawned the Lebensreform, a form of natural agriculture created by Edward Kohnman. His theory of farming was based on green fertilizers and mulching, and using rock powder, light tillage, composting, which unfortunately even included humanure, yuck, and recycling of municipal waste. In India, British agronomist Albert and Gabrielle Howard created a composting method known as pit composting, which provided higher yields and greater plant resistance to disease. This became known as the Indori process, which connects the dynamic mycorrhizal association, the symbiosis between fungi and plant roots. World War II created shortages in synthetic chemical fertilizers, and so in Europe, organic and natural farming and gardening practices had to be used out of necessity. That's the only good thing that came out of that war. In 1946, the Soil Association was created in England, and this brings us to today's last character in the creation of the organic movement, Lady Eve Balfour. Lady Eve created the Soil Association. Her story is that by age 12, she knew she wanted to be a farmer. By the time she was 21, she bought a farm in Hoffley, Green, Suffolk, with her sister, Mary. This was important because her farm would be the host of the Hoffley experiment, which would be the catalyst for her book, The Living Soil. The Hoffley experiment was critical to organic farming because it was the first time that a comparative study attempted to show the difference between organic farming and traditional intensive methods of farming. In this experiment, Lady Eve's farm was divided into three parts. One, intensively farmed, which is chemically. Two, traditionally farmed, which is organically. And three, a mixture of both. Each section was analyzed side by side. The experiment proved that organic farming practices did not compromise the overall yield of a farm and that crops had a variety of responses to being farmed without chemicals or intensive tillage. A big takeaway was the development of more complex root systems when farmed in the organic method. On the website of the Soil Association, it says the following, exploring the natural world to develop a deeper understanding is really the root of our work. Gathering evidence and promoting practical changes anyone can make to improve soil health, crop resilience, and biodiversity. And 
we've continued to keep our feet firmly on the ground, trying to find ways we can grow better together. Since 1946, we've achieved many things that we're still proud of to this day, all whilst holding on to the belief that the health of soil, plants, animal, and man is one and indivisible. Sir Albert Howard. This history would make a great movie. To those in the world of agrochemicals and ag science, it would be a fantasy film. The characters and contributions that I just spoke of were truly from starry-eyed land of organic Oz type figures. To make sure that organic never really got its feet too firmly planted on the ground, the governments have created organic standards that are not always exactly what one would expect an organic standard to be. Plus, the governments are constantly under attack by the relentless onslaught to overturn or alter organic standards as seen recently as in the fights in Europe over GMOs and GMO labeling. Guess who's fighting the government on GMO labeling? We're going to talk a little bit about GMOs next. Are GMOs getting unwittingly dumped in your yard? Are the byproducts that you may be using causing your garden to be a waste site? Next. Hey there, healthies. You know what I use in my garden when I don't have enough of my homemade compost to use? I use Booze Blend Real Organic Non-GMO Compost from Malibu Compost or Farm-Made Organic Compost from Number 2 Organics. They are the only farm-made real organic compost I would ever consider using. I want a safe, healthy garden space to garden in at malibucompost.com or at number2organics.com. Cheeks, necker, and jelly beans, lend me your ears. Though you think you've been petted, don't be silly, forget it. Deb, slapper, and baby bam, fall me to tears. What do they know concerning love? Come to me for your burning love. Cause I'm the last of the red hot mamas. They've all cooled down but me. Flap of them. Say, what do they know? Come get your hot stuff from this volcano. I'm an overheater. Try and beat it. Hotty, 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 I know that I've talked about GMOs a bunch on the Healthy Garden podcast. But the truth is, you can never say enough about them when it comes to agriculture and the lords of agriculture, Big Chem. 
All you have to do is get on the Googler and look up who creates and owns the licenses and patents on all of the wonderful GMO seeds around the globe. It is a veritable who's who of Dr. Evil and his cronies. I told you earlier that I spend a lot of time on our organic farm and friends' organic farms, and all of these farms have signs tacked up on their fences of their property that read, Organic Farm, Do Not Spray. Have you seen them? Do you know why they are there? Because they are in a no-spray zone, and this is a reminder to the counties, don't spray herbicides to kill the weeds or the pesticides to kill the bugs. In the rural communities that we're in, if you don't have these signs up, the county will just spray away in the ditches and along the roads. They know where the organic farms are and where the roads and fence lines of the farms that delineate the no-spray zones are. But if you don't warn them, they'll spray. In the conventional farming or chemical farming areas, it's spray at will, have gun will travel. This is an important illustration because it's kind of the same at home. Do you have an organic farm, do not spray, sign up at your place? Are you surrounded by neighbors who buy those five-gallon jugs of the buy two, get one free of Roundup at the depot when they're on sale? Is your neighborhood a chemical spray zone? Do you know if most of the folks around your pad are chemical gardeners or not? This is part A of the wayside analogy. Many of us live in places where there is a distinct possibility of chemical drift from the city or from our neighbors. How do we fight that? We put up barriers, fences, hedges, trees. We have all three. My neighbor next door is the typical modern chemical man. If it moves, kill it, spray it, poison it. And he's also the guy in love with his gas blower. We've got things in place at our place to block drift and toxins and sprays. The other thing we do is quarterly compost teas on our perimeter to attack and break down residues that may have landed on our hedges or fence line trees. We have trees all down the line along the roadside of our farm to keep even fuel exhaust from making it onto our farm. In extreme cases at our home or on jobs that we consult on, we will spray bacterial enzymes onto the fences, the hedges, the trees, and the soil in these areas. The bacterial enzymes break down toxins and neutralize several organic and inorganic pollutants in the soil and on plant life that include polymers, azo dyes, organocyanides, chromium, lead, and mercury. The next way that chemical farming gets into our properties is through the byproduct waste stream that makes its way sometimes into your organic via organic and natural products that you are using in the garden. Many of these byproducts come in what so many gardeners think are just innocuous amendments like bone meal or blood meal. They are not just harmless amendments to toss out under your plants 
or that come in soil mixes or fertilizer mixes. They are loaded with glyphosate particulates that get into your soil and into your plants. Studies on glyphosate usage in plants have shown the physiological efficiency of the host plant can be lessened by glyphosate. The physiological efficiency is the ability of a plant to transform nitrogen acquired from the air, from compost, mineralization by microbes, or fertilizer into something that the plant can use. Glyphosate can indirectly disturb the metabolism of nitrogen or by directly harming the symbiotic rhizobacteria present in the soil, which can cause plants to just stop growing or die. The amendments bone meal and blood meal are just two examples that have glyphosate residue in them. Think about the animals that ate the Roundup-ready crops that were sprayed with glyphosate. It doesn't just go away. It doesn't just compost out. The residue is still there on the alfalfa and the other genetically engineered crops that conventional farmers or chemical farmers spray glyphosate on, like corn, oats, soybean, wheat. I never use bone meal or blood meal. I haven't in 25 years. I don't know why so many experts, and I'm putting that in quotes, love this 3-15-0 toxic slaughterhouse input. Same with the 12-0-0 blood meal. Think about where it comes from. What more of an unnatural thing could there be to use in an organic garden? It's disgusting. What do you think those animals were eating? And how do you think those animals lived or were slaughtered? This is where I flip out on organic certification, license, and registration. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book, 100 Years of Deception, to expose the charade. The whole point of the exercise of this episode is this. Please think through what you are buying and putting down in your garden for nutrient. And who are you buying it from? I just gave you a huge clue. Also, is your neighborhood safe from overspray and chemical contamination? I gave you a couple of ways to help solve that problem if it's an issue. I don't think that the champions of organic farming had the whole chemical gardening concept in their minds as they were fighting for soil rights and food justice 80 to 90 years ago. I think they just wanted to turn back the clock on a bad genie, chemical synthetic fertilizer that had been let out of the bottle and was starting to already destroy the earth. Well, the reality is that those issues are way bigger and way scarier today. Pay attention, gardening gang. You don't have to be a part of the problem. You can stay a part of the solution. Think through what you are going to use in your garden and what the guys next door are using in theirs as well. If you can do that, you can create a safety zone, a real organic garden, a healthy oasis where you will never have to ask, is your organic garden a waste site? 
That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden Podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true, organic, and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.